0: Well, hello, friends. Grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus be with you. Welcome to Sermons from the Mount podcast. My name is Pastor Mark O'Neill. I currently serve as the pastor of Mount at United Methodist Church in Manio, North Carolina. Each week, we will post here audio recordings of the sermons that I preach from that church. Hope this one is a blessing to you. God bless. Take care. sermon text this morning comes from the gospel of Luke. We're in the fourth chapter. We're going to take a look at verses 1 through 13. So again, this is Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. He departed from him until an opportune time. My friends, this is the word of God for you and I, the children of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be God. to God. Friends, if you were reading along whether a physical Bible or the Bible app on your phone, I want you to keep it out real quick. I want you to keep it out. I want you to go back to see what the words were at the very end of chapter 3. They come right before what we read in chapter 4. The words immediately before Jesus entering the wilderness are, at least in my translation, the son of Adam, the son of God. The son of Adam, the son of God. You see, the verses in chapter 3, starting at verse 23, are the genealogy of our Lord. It's the exact opposite of Matthew's genealogy. Matthew starts at Abraham and then comes down to Mary and Joseph. Here Luke starts at Joseph and then goes backwards all the way to the beginning. But I think it's interesting to note that right before Jesus heads into the wilderness and faces the devil's temptations that we are told he was the son of Adam, the son of God. Why is that interesting, you might ask? Because that means that, friends, we can not only read Jesus' 40 days of trials in the wilderness alongside the 40-year trek in the wilderness by the nation of Israel, which is what I would imagine you have always heard this sermon preached about, but we can also read Jesus' temptations here alongside with Adam and Eve's temptations in the garden. I honestly hadn't thought about this comparison until I read a commentary this week by a preacher named Chelsea Harmon. Because when you compare the scenes in the garden with the scenes that happen here in the wilderness, the comparisons are fairly eye opening. Adam and Eve were in a lush garden, living with abundance, with peace and authority over every animal that walked the earth. Jesus, on the other hand, is in the desolate wilderness not eating a thing subjected to the dangers of the beasts. Simply based on these circumstances alone, Adam and Eve clearly have the upper hand of having their basic needs of food and shelter and safety guaranteed, so surely this would help them resist temptation, right? You and I know the answer. And it's not just with Adam and Eve. Because even in the best of circumstances, with everything we could possibly need, we humans have a poor track record when it comes to resisting temptation. In both the garden and in the wilderness, the devil uses God's very own words as the basis of his ploys. The difference between how humanity and Christ Jesus responds when facing temptation, the clear indicator of whether or not they will fail and give in to temptation is whether or not they know the meaning of those words and, more importantly, trust the one behind them. Adam and Eve knew the words that God spoke, the words that commanded them not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But when the devil, in the form of a serpent... Turn those words back to them, they didn't even think about God. Bless you. They didn't think about God and all that God had already proven to them about his care and his provision for them. They didn't trust God. Instead, they thought about having more. And so, even in paradise, temptation comes and we give in. As we see in the garden, the sad irony, friends, is that what is promised to you and I often becomes the very reason why we give in to temptation. Adam and Eve already had everything they could ever need, and yet they gave in to temptation. Why? Because they believed that what the serpent promised would give them more of what God had already provided for them. And God had provided for them everything they could ever need, and yet that wasn't enough. They didn't trust that God had given them enough, and so they wanted more. So the question for us this morning, friends, do you want more? I don't know what your more is, but I imagine that for all of us, there is something in our lives that we want more of. I pray that it is more of Jesus, but... Like you and I talked about last week, we all need to take an inventory of our lives and figure out if there are people and things we put on the same level as or higher than Jesus. Are there things in our lives as important as or more important than our relationship with Jesus? Friends, deep down, if you are being honest, what is it in your life right now that you want more of? In our reading this morning, in the wilderness with Jesus, the devil tries to play the exact same game, the same tactics. I mean, it worked with the first Adam, so why would it not work with the second Adam? The devil seems here to be a one-trick pony. At first, the tempter urges him to use his divine power to satisfy his bodily desires. You can't trust God to take care of you, he seems to be saying. Why wait? Why starve? You can take care of your wants right now on your own. You don't need God. How often are we focused more on what we want than in trusting God to provide what we need? Having failed at his first attempt, the devil shifts to what might be our greatest temptation, power. The enemy tries to persuade Jesus to grasp at worldly power by unlawful means. He asks for a small concession, but then offers a large promise. Do this one little thing, Jesus. Just worship me, and I will give you the whole world. How often are we tempted by or engage in seemingly little acts of disobedience, trusting we can get away with it in order to obtain for ourselves more of what we want and finally the devil tempts jesus to manipulate god to jump from the temple and let the angels save him this temptation to call on god and to avoid suffering death is the same that jesus will face toward the end of his earthly ministry he resists now and will do so again then because this is a test of god's promise of protection. How often do we trust ourselves more because of what we can see and control and trust God less because of those things we can't? It's interesting that the devil's choices of temptations here, they're not out of thin air. They're all things that truly and rightly belong to Jesus and they are things that God promises and guarantees to be part of Christ's glory. Jesus already has. Ultimate authority and power. It's been given to him by the Father. He can work miracles if he trusts God, and the devil wants him to exploit that power for more power. Jesus is already the Prince of Peace and ruler of all the kingdoms of the world if he trusts God, yet the devil wants him to abuse that power for his own pleasure. More pleasure. Jesus is the beloved Son of God in whom the Father is well-pleased, and he has the Father's heart if he trusts God, yet the devil wants him to distrust that love and make the Father prove it. More proof. Basically, the devil is trying to tempt Jesus to do what he did when the devil first rebelled. The devil is trying to talk Jesus into the lies that the devil is clinging to. The devil is tempting Jesus to go after what already belongs to Jesus and what will always be his. He just wants him to do it a little quicker on a different timetable than God's plan. In other words, the devil wants Jesus to fall into the same trap as Adam and Eve, to not trust God, God's timing, God's plan, God's wisdom, God's promises, God's love, God's mercy, and God's hope. 2,000 years later, friends, the devil does the same thing to you and to me. Bless you. Now, our lives are not lived in the Garden of Eden. And I dare say neither are we wandering in the desert wilderness. But I do think we all live somewhere in between. Our lives are those that vary between joys and sorrows, plenty and want contentment and worry addiction and recovery temptation and sin and in every season while we are certainly aware of the presence of God we are also in every season unfortunately also subject to the tempter if we get too close to God he's there to try and knock us back if we get too low he's there to put his foot on us to keep us down and in the planes of life He lingers around at arm's length, so we forget that he's around, and he can catch us slipping or sleeping. So, how do we cope? How do we fight? How do we withstand temptation and make sure that it does not lead us down the path of sin? Well, the answer, at least from our text, would appear to be Scripture, doesn't it? Each time Jesus was tempted, his answer was couched in Scripture. He stood on God's word that he knew and had them at the ready, much like a gunslinger with quick access to his pistol. Our dear friend J.C. Ryle writes this, We ought to be diligent Bible readers because the word of God is the sword of the Spirit. We shall never fight a good fight if we do not use it as our principal weapon. It may well be feared that there is not enough Bible reading among us. It may well be feared that there is not enough Bible reading among us. I had the privilege of attending a gathering of the Outer Bank Sportsman's Fellowship this past Thursday night. A number of the men here at this church attend on a regular basis, and it was a great time. Great not because they fed us ribeyes and baked potatoes, great not because they served some of the best banana pudding you will ever have. And I know because I had a second one just to make sure the first one was as good as I thought it was. It was great because almost everywhere you looked, you saw a man carrying around a Bible. Everywhere you looked, you could see a few gathered around the open pages of Scripture. Friends, we all need to be reading our Bibles and be familiar with the word of God. But friends, that's not enough. It's not enough to read and know and be able to quote scripture. It's not enough that you have a few Bible verses memorized that can spout them off at the drop of a hat because I don't know if you have noticed or not, but in our story this morning, Jesus wasn't the only one that was quoting scripture. Verses 9 through 11 shows us that Satan himself has also read it, has also memorized it, and is able to use it at the drop of a hat. But Jesus not only knows the words of Scripture, he knows and trusts the one who inspired them. Jesus knows what they mean and what their infallible message is. And of the two quoting Scripture... Only one of them is being led by the Holy Spirit. Likewise, friends, you may know the words of Scripture. You may have a Bible reading plan and a daily devotion and highlights and notes all over your Bible, but do you trust the words of Scripture? When you read that God promises you protection and love and life abundant, do you have faith in and trust in it? In the face of temptation, when you may be at your weakest, feeling assaulted from all sides by strife and difficulty, do you still trust in God's word? Again, from J.C. Ryle, it is not enough to have the book. We must actually read it and pray over it ourselves. It will do us no good if it only lies still in our houses. Knowledge of the Bible can only be got by hard, regular, daily, attentive Wakeful reading. I'm going to have to disagree ever so slightly with my buddy here. Because simply hard, regular, daily, attentive, wakeful reading is not going to do it. Instead, it has to be hard, regular, daily, attentive, wakeful reading empowered by the Holy Spirit. We have got to get into the practice of inviting the Holy Spirit to be present with us when we read Scripture. And leaning on Him to open our hearts, our minds, and our ears to what we need to take from it. Again, both Jesus and Satan quote Scripture in our story. They both had verses memorized and ready. But you see, Scripture can be used properly and Scripture can be misused. Friends, faithful interpretation of Scripture is dynamic and occurs only under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. John Wesley said the Spirit of God not only once inspired those who wrote it, but continually inspires, supernaturally assists those that read it with earnest prayer. Jesus, in our story, spends 40 days in prayer under the guidance of the Spirit and then faithfully interprets Scripture in order to resist temptation. Do you see it now? This is how we arm ourselves to resist temptation. Spending our days in prayer, opening ourselves up to be led by the Holy Spirit, then able to faithfully see, feel, believe and trust in scripture all in order to resist temptation. As we enter into the season of Lent, this time of trial that Jesus endured on our behalf, it both reminds us of why the incarnation and cross are necessary and it becomes for us a source of strength. We too can call upon the Holy Spirit to make us more like Christ. Able to resist temptation. We too can commit ourselves to disciplines that help us to know God's or the Spirit's infilling. We too can sacrifice and trust that God's words and work are true and all we need. We can deny the devil and his promises of more and pursue the wisdom ways of God. None of this, though, is easy. But Lent becomes about trying to do that very thing. It becomes about recognizing our weaknesses and need for God's intervention. It is about honestly and truthfully identifying and then addressing our own proclivities for wilderness temptations. And it is about asking the Spirit to fill you with the same strength and faith of Christ in order to face them and say no to the devil and his ways. That's why on Ash Wednesday, for those that came... When I made the mark of the cross with ashes on your foreheads, I said, repent and believe the good news. Other churches use, from dust you came, from dust you shall return. I prefer repent and believe the good news. Why? Well, yes, Lent is a period of acknowledging our sins. Yes, Lent is a period of dedicating our lives back to God. But my friends, while we are working on those areas that need to be straightened out and strengthened up, let us not forget that we don't go at it alone. By our side is the one that suffered temptation so he could know what you and I go through. By our side is the one that suffered death so that we wouldn't be punished. By our side is the one that rose again so we can spend eternity in paradise. Yes, friends, Jesus was alone with the devil in the wilderness, but you will never be so long as you trust and believe. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Until next time, God bless. Take care.